Welcome to a trip to the movies. I'm Alex Zane, and this episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear that huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it. Four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Luxe experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real Odeon cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So, if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review or get in touch on socials. I'll explain more at the end of the show. But, congratulations to this week's winner, James Stevens, who got in touch on Instagram, where we are at trip to Movies Pod in response to last week's guest, Dr. Shannon Curry's favourite scene from a movie being Whiplash's climax. James, like many of you, has thrown out his favourite scene. James says, The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, the train heist scene. Perfectly shot and so eerie. Fantastic scene. Thank you for getting in touch, James. Drop us an email to triptomovies at gmail.com and we'll send you your Odeon cinema tickets. More details at the end of the show if you'd like your own pair of tickets. Also, if you want to watch the full unedited Dr. Curry video interview, it's on our Patreon along with all the video interviews from every single guest. Finally, for all the latest news and clips from the show, we're on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at triptomoviespod. All right, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we're joined by a brilliant illustrator and movie poster artist. He's created posters for everything from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Amazon's The Boys to J.J. Abrams' Super 8 to all four seasons of Netflix's Stranger Things and... To top it off, he also created the artwork for a little podcast by the name of A Trip to the Movies. Taking us on today's Trip to the Movies, it's the super talented Kyle Lambert. Hello, Kyle. How are you? Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to have you on, mate. And as I as I said in the intro, um, thank you so much for doing our artwork. It's A, amazing, and B, we had so much lovely feedback from it. Um, yeah, it was a great opportunity to create something that, like, you know, summarized all of cinema you know there were obviously obviously challenges with copyright we didn't want to stick all of the uh, official <laughs> characters in there but it was you know a nice opportunity to try create some iconic looking uh, characters and art and things a hundred percent agree uh, that was an interesting conversation we can have uh, an agent but he can't look like he's actually from the matrix but he does look a bit like it we can have a giant gorilla but it's absolutely 100 percent not king kong so well done on that <laughs> you got it. so um, i listed just a few of the things uh, you worked on in my introduction but there's so much more are you the busiest you've ever been at the moment um yeah i think so i think every year basically 
takes things up a notch. Um, I think I've kind of grown at the same rate that Stranger Things has. It's, it's you can kind of see that progression every season where uh, awareness just goes up, and I see, you see more merchandise in the stores, and and uh, the kind of fanfare just increases online as well. Like you know, get a lot more people interacting with me, and you can just see the awareness. Like people that you know, it's kind of like when the iPhone came out. Like only the tech guys had it. And now the grandmas have one. And it's kind of like that with Stranger Things. It's like people that, you know, my parents, uh, friends are watching it now, which is just, you know, it, it really speaks to how far it's spread. Mm. And it, uh, it's amazing that, you know, four seasons in, the quality is as high as it was when it began, because that's not always the case with so many series. But I think it's amazing what the Duffer Brothers have done, keeping that standard so high. I want to talk more about Stranger Things, but I, I want to start with at the beginning of, of your journey. And, it was a love of film that has brought you to this point. Because I'm right in thinking the very first art you did as a kid was inspired by your love of cinema. Essentially, I've, I'm one of these really lucky people who figured out that they wanted to do something really early on and found a way to keep doing that their entire lives and then get paid for it. So like I used to spend most of my childhood sat in front of the TV drawing my favorite cartoon characters like a lot of kids do but you know I, I kind of just like love doing that and uh like there's a photo of me drawing a dvd like not a dvd a vhs cover of um, mm. a movie poster like age six or something like that and like that's essentially what i'm doing right now the same thing just you know more in a more official capacity but it was something that it took me a little while to figure out that that's what i wanted to do but i, I kind of knew that early on it's just you know, you go down professional avenues and try and figure out how to make it into an actual job. And uh, it's it's just one of those things that eventually it just dawned on me. Like I went down this route of painting and learning how to do portraits really realistically uh, through through university. And, and uh, it was only when I left university and then I started to do my own artwork, just things that I enjoyed. I went back to doing movie stuff again. And, and then I started to get contacted to do that professionally and then it just escalated and here we are <laughs> so let's let's jump forward then and um, to the very first i guess uh, to use your phrase official capacity that you were engaged in as an artist what was the what was the biggest movie poster that really sort of set the wheels turning in terms of you working in this industry uh well i, I was contacted by this agency to do um a series of movie poster related tasks it basically was creating uh, illustrations of movie iconic movie uh, characters and uh, they had they basically had the idea to do this movie poster for super 8 uh, this movie that was just coming out that we didn't really know much about it all we had was a trailer to work from um, so i basically just went away took a few stills from the trailer mashed up this uh, composition I, I wasn't even really like referencing any classic illustrators at this point i was just basically like it was just pouring out of my heart what I thought this movie poster should be. Um, and yeah, it kind of blew up. Like they basically, you know, a lot of the media outlets thought it was uh, like Drew Struzan who'd done this, one of the most iconic movie poster artists of all time who's done Indiana Jones and uh, uh, Back to the Future trilogy, Star Wars, Goonies, you name it. And um, so it kind of got a lot of like attention because it was a Spielberg production and uh, it had this sort of like, love letter vibe to, to Steven Spielberg. Um, they thought that the poster was very appropriate for that. And um, it didn't like turn me into this movie poster illustrator all, all overnight. It basically took maybe like five or six years. And then uh, ultimately that was what got me the strength of things to face. They, uh, 
the Duffer Brothers saw that poster and uh, they thought, like, we, our series has the same vibe to it. It's the same era. It's the same types of kids on these adventures. So this poster would be, you know, something like that would be appropriate. And that's where, that's where I came in. That's amazing. So this poster, so it had been out there for a while. I mean, we're talking a good few years later after Super 8, which I think was 2011-ish. And mm-hmm. so, right. so a good few years later, this, this, this poster, like you, you get contacted by, is it Netflix? Is it, is it the Duffer Brothers? Who contacts you? Uh, I actually got contacted twice. I think I was kind of destined to do this. I don't know whether it like, came up in an early pitch or something, but uh, I was originally contacted by the Duffer Brothers and their production team because they wanted me to create some, um, basically like illustrate scenes from the series uh, to give to the cast as gifts. Um, and then almost like a week later, I got contacted by, um, I think it was like an agency basically that was working on the campaign as a whole. And they had this idea for the illustrated uh, poster. It was mostly just going to be like a token thing that might just go onto social media. But I think when they'd seen what I'd done with it, they realized that it had the potential to sort of you know, become the key art for the show that, um, that everybody saw once it was uh, released. And um you know, I, I said to, the, I actually met the Duffer Brothers and I said to them, you know, you do realize that like I was contacted like twice for this, you know, and it sort of made them laugh at this idea that, you know, both Netflix seemingly and them had the same idea, which is it's kind of like my experience going through this. They, all the people that work on the show tend to have the same like ideas and, and direction for these things. And uh, it sort of, it shows in, in the way everything comes together. And so I'm imagining then if once they're going, look, we're going to use this. We want this to be the the, the kind of iconic look for the series in terms of its publicity. They they then must have to show you the episodes before anyone else sees them. So I imagine you saw Stranger Things before anyone had seen it, because I'm, I'm right in thinking part of the arts that you do in composing these drawings, creating this art is actually the composition and telling the story of the series through the artwork. Yeah, exactly. It's basically uh, important to me whenever I talk to any new client is I, I really need to see the show because uh, they gave me scripts initially and I'm a visual person. Like I read like everyone else, but like for me to actually get into the world, I need to respond to images. And when I, when I watch movies, we'll talk about this later, when I'm sat in the theater and my brain's like, oh my God, that would be an amazing image. That would be, you know, like I remember watching Dark Knight and the first time you see the Joker, when Heath Ledger pulls off the mask, I was just like, that's going to be a painting. And I kind of rushed home and wanted to paint that. And uh, it was the same with, with Stranger Things. When Once I got the, the episodes, that they typically give me like the first half, um, which for anyone who's seen the show has its own little arc. And it mm-hmm. tends to sort of come to some climatic moment in the, in the fourth episode. And it makes you want to carry on watching it. It's like a halfway milestone. And um, it very much had that in the first season. So I got to watch the first four episodes. And uh, like everybody, I, nobody knew what this was. And um, I, I typically am a, more of a movie person than a TV show person. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. But, you know, I was quite excited because it had Netflix attached to it, which meant, you know, at that point, I wasn't an established illustrator. So I was excited that, I thought, at least it's on Netflix, people will see this. I can at least say, you know, I've worked on a Netflix show when I approach future clients. But the second I saw the episodes and started to see, you know, the music was laid in there already. And uh, that was a big part of the experience, that sort of retro uh, synth vibe. And um, or, or like, 
I immediately got it. Like it was just one of those things, like everybody else, like everyone watches that and you get that retro feeling, you you align with the characters. It's 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 got that Spielberg vibe where you kind of got explore the world through the kids' eyes. It's just like I saw it straight away and thought, this could be really great. And and, and I kind of leaned into it really hard then with the, with the illustration. I just like gave it everything that I've got and thought this is a great opportunity to yeah, be a part of something really cool. And obviously, I mean, like you say, no one really knew what the show was going to do then, and it just exploded. So, you know, jumping forward to that second season and expectation for the show itself was high. Did you feel a little bit more pressure when it came to designing the poster, creating the artwork for season two because of the, uh, I guess, the appreciation that had been shown, not just towards the show, but towards your artwork? Was that a much more high pressure gig than actually doing that very first season? I think everybody who ever does something that's successful always struggles with the second iteration. That's why most sequels don't hit because it's really difficult to capture what it is about something that's awesome and that people responded to, but not just repeat yourself. And if you deviate, deviate too far from it, you do something different that doesn't respond to that people don't respond to. Um, I mean, I'm really lucky in the sense that I don't sit there with a blank page, um, a lot of the time, my problems are solved by the Duffer Brothers and, and, and whoever it is I'm working on. They provide me with this library of content to, to kind of start my imagination going. And that's what I love about this job. Like I kind of sit there. I get fed all this amazing work that people have done, um, these great moments and music. And it's just very difficult to sit there at the end of that and go, I don't know what to do. You know, it's sort of <laughs> immediately you, you, there's a theme that emerges and, uh, a tonality you talked about earlier about telling the story and that is, is very critical to me is, is how do we capture how you look at this poster and just like it just tells you what everything like my favorite poster is hook uh the hook poster the one that's uh drew struzan did and you look at that and it's the movie it, it looks like a pirate movie it looks like you know it, it's got it's got a giant scroll as the background it, it has all the production design on there it has all of the iconic poses and and it's really just about that. Like it's my job is to watch the show and just do my absolute best to sort of pick out those key elements that you're gonna. First of all, you're gonna look at and go, "Wow, that looks really exciting," and I want to go watch that. But it's also to be able to come back afterwards and look at it again and go, "Oh, that's what that thing was in the corner there." Like now I've seen it, and it it means even more to you then because you've, it sort of retells the story of what you've just watched. Um, so I think the posters have both sides to it. And, you know, for season two, it was, it was great because it had a different, I felt like it had a very different theme. It was more Halloween. It was more horror. So, you know, pumpkins, there was, if anything, there was too much for that season to try and put into the poster. Like in terms of like the, the tears of it, I had the mind flare at the top. I had 11 and I had all of the, the, the cast, but some new characters. Then we had the bikes. Then there was the pumpkins and, the arcade it was felt it felt like a lot to try and get in there and i think for me it was more just from a compositional perspective i like things to look simple and clean and read nicely and there was just a lot to put in there and that was what, what i struggled with on that poster but i think that each season really has this theme uh, that emerges which helps me a lot it's not like it's just a continuation necessarily i feel like they definitely set a new stage each season and you go in there and i immediately respond to that visually have you ever had the chance to go to set? Is it something you'd like to do? Or did you, have you been invited to set? Have you met the cast? Have you sort of been part of the production in that respect? Uh, I got invited to the set for season one, but I wasn't really in a position to go. Um, 
which I regret now, obviously, because, you know, this was before I really got a sense of what it was. Like, this was when we had very, very early conversations about um, the idea of me getting involved. And I said, no, I think stills would be sufficient. And, you know, and uh, I think it would have been really cool to see it. Um, but I feel like I've been to Hawkins. Like, I, I did a project where uh, we illustrated a map of Hawkins. So I had wow. to research the entire production, like, you know, every location I had to find on Google and sort of see where the roads went and things like that. So that, you know, if they shot any future episodes there, the continuity would work. Uh, it was like a four month project where I just had to like, like really dig deep. And like, I went, cra- I, I got, I went a little bit insane with the whole thing, trying to figure out like if, if, if Lucas went on his bike down that road and came out here, then that has to connect. And, but then later on, he goes left here. So it's still, you know, there was just a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, accuracy that I wanted to put in. <laughs> so you, 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 you're like now basically a qualified cartographer of Hawkins. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I think like it, the, the amount of research that I do on these, these um, episodes to get uh, the correct images and to get the moments and things like that. Like often when I'm talking to Netflix, they, they're asking me where things are and what, what elements uh, <laughs> are available. So uh I've become quite the quite the fan myself over the over the course of the seasons as well. Um, you mentioned Drew Struzan, obviously, uh, like a, a legend in the in the in the poster world. I mean, obviously, he, it's quite interesting the way you you talk about posters telling stories because you know to go back sort of historically to sort of even when I first started going to the cinema, trailers weren't really a thing, or it certainly weren't a thing that you could just click online. You know, you were you saw them in the cinema, yeah. and then they were only for a selection of movies and. You really like the thing that got you excited about upcoming films was the poster, wasn't it? It's even more so in the sense that you would often go to the theatre, just I want to go and see a movie. And you'd get to the auditorium and then you'd look at the posters and the times and you'd choose based on that alone. Uh, sometimes there would be hype on the TV and, and whatever. Um, but the poster played a very significant role back then, for sure. It, you know. Uh, it would also be the VHS cover that you would, you know, come away with at the end once once you want to go home and watch it. Um, so it's always been a very important part of the movie. I think that's what Drew was always able to really do was to create something that was so associated with that movie. Uh, I think if you think of the most iconic movie posters of all time, think of Jaws. Like you see that image, it's you you, can, you can't not think of that movie. I mean, that's kind of the goal really is to create something so. Uh, associated with the movie that it's undeniable. You look at it and it's like, that's Jaws. You can see that yeah. in any iteration, that's Jaws. You see you see that T-shirt that someone's wearing miles away and you know what it is. Um, so that's always the goal with these movie posters and, and is to be that. And I think it's a slightly different thing now because, but it also in the same way, because I think Stranger Things didn't have any um, history. It didn't have like a you know it's not a franchise that they were building upon a story or a book or anybody who came to see that first season was doing so because they either saw something in the imagery or the description that appealed to them and, and i think that i think the duffer brothers said how important that artwork was at the beginning you know to sort of pull people in because you look at that and it does tell you a little bit about the era and the, the, the sort of vibe of, of the show without having to, you know, in a very lazy way, you can look at that thumbnail and go, that looks like my kind of thing, you know? And I think that's what, that's what it was on Netflix for a little while. It was, 
people were scrolling through Netflix and they saw this artwork and thought that that looks a bit different because there wasn't a lot of illustrated art back then. Like back in 2016, it was pretty much dead. It was Drew Struzan had retired. There was, there was no illustrated posters coming out. And then this thing drops and all of a sudden it's like, what's this? So yeah. I think it was a big part of that. And, uh, you know, I, I think I take responsibility for that as well. Like I, I take, I like to, you know, think that it's a really important part of the success of the show is to make something that's really visually appealing where people go, wow, I want to go see that. I want to see that this, this looks like this season looks even more intense and even more exciting and, you know, more dangerous or more scary, which, you know, was <laughs> definitely the, the case for season four. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Drew Struzan, um, you actually got to uh, present him. You did a piece of artwork for Drew Struzan, a, 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 for a tribute, um, uh, to him and his career, oh, I mean, obviously, being a fan of his, what what was that like? Because I believe that he said it left him speechless. The art that you drew for him, it was one of those things where, like, you know, you always hear not to not to meet your heroes, but Drew's really mm. awesome. He's really sweet and really kind, and you know, really soft spoken, and uh, he's got so many stories about the the movie posters. Like when I first met him, I just was just grilling him about his experience of working on Hook and like. You know, he's telling me all the stories about how he actually got to go to set and meet Steven Spielberg, and and uh, he went round to um, Dustin Hoffman's house to get him to pose perfectly for the for this expression that, that was on the on the poster. So uh, he he's just a, a well of stories and experiences and part of movie history. And um, uh, yeah, the opportunity came along. There was this celebration evening that was being run by a friend of mine, and he just offered the idea that would it be really cool if you piece of art to sort of present to him at the on the evening and I just jumped on it and uh, I thought it, a friend of mine had done a, uh, a photo shoot of him as well so I was able to get a really great portrait of Drew to work from and uh, the goal was just to sprinkle it with all of the movies that he'd worked on and just do this collage similar to what he does but you know celebrating his career essentially and um, we then sent that final print around to all of the people that I'd featured in the poster to get them to sign it. So Harrison, oh, wow. I got to meet Harrison Ford and we signed, we signed the poster uh, for Drew and a few other, um, I can't remember who else is on there. I think Del Toro is on there. Um, Frank Darabon and a few other. Wow. Uh, of so. course. Cause he did the Shawshank Redemption poster as well, mm-hmm. didn't he? That's, oh yeah, yeah. He's a huge fan of Drew's. He's got like all of his originals in his office. So. Oh, brilliant. That sounds amazing. Well, Kyle, it's now time to head to our virtual cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So, we push open the doors for our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Kyle. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? Um, so I, I always ask this question to other people in general about like who you'd want to meet living or dead. And I think for me, it's a really obvious choice to pick someone who's dead because you don't normally get that opportunity. Um, my obvious, my initial choice before I started thinking about this was like, I'd want to go to the movies with Steven Spielberg. Like I'd want to hear his response to the movie. Like for me, a big part of going to the movies is not necessarily just watching the movie. It's the experience of like 
talking about it afterwards. Uh, when I used to watch movies in the UK, a bunch of friends of mine would, would sort of like walk through Manchester on the way out of the Odeon and we'd kind of like talk about what we thought about it. A lot of the time it was like not good. So we were talking about what we didn't like about it, you know, and I think you want movie people, you want movie people to, to talk about that. I think most of my idols wouldn't be great cinema buddies because they'd be quite critical and quite, you know, like they're very <laughs> detail oriented people. Um, but I think I, I, I decided to think like who would be like, who would think about things in the same way that I would visually. Like, so I, I've gone with, um, Someone who not everybody might know, but um, Stan Winston, who okay. is the artist uh, who basically creates all of the practical effects. He he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he created all of the basically all the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, and he created the the Terminator uh, uh, the Terminator endoskeleton uh, that you see Predator in the movie. Predator was one of his, wasn't it? Predator, uh, yeah. Aliens, like the the big mother in Alien Two, um, he's basically the godfather of like anything that you see on screen that wasn't done with computers. That it's uh, a monster or makeup effects. He's he he would have a lot of stories, you know. And I think given the artwork, having the DeLorean, I think I like the idea of this movie experience. Is like we would go back in time to see. Um, Stan Winston in his prime when he was creating all these amazing uh, monsters and, and uh, movie villains. And uh, we'd go to the, the movies one night and talk about what he was with. That sounds brilliant. I mean, you and I are, are approximately the same age. We don't need to go into details. You're a little bit younger than me. But we grew up in an era where practical effects, you know, were so prevalent in cinema. You know, the late 80s. I mean, Jurassic Park, like you say, I know that had huge advances in cgi with that movie but there was still practical effects in there it really it really made a difference didn't it i i to i don't want to stop on this sort of like oh cgi is bad but there is yeah. something quite incredible about seeing like the intricacy uh, of a, a, an actual creation something physical and you can tell the difference as an audience can't you yeah i mean i think you know visual effects artists get a lot of bad reputation just because i think in all honesty it's it's the the, the way the industry is in general, there's always a time crunch and everything. And as an artist, I know how difficult that is to deliver high quality on everything. Like the, the thing that I challenge, I struggle with with movie posters is there's always one thing that I'm struggling with. And it's whether I can get that in time for the delivery of the deadline, because there's so many elements to try and, you know, create all these portraits, all these vehicles and locations. And I'm trying to tie the whole thing in to make it look this beautiful image. And I think, you know, movies, may suffer from that in the same way. Like they have all these visual effects shots that are, you know, and they've got deadlines. And a lot of the time, it just has to be good enough. It doesn't have to be the best shot of all time. And I think when you go back to the early days of CGI, people are always like, why, why is the CGI so amazing at the beginning? And now it's so bad. And, and I think a lot of that is that they had the best people in the entire world working on one shot. And that's all they had to deliver was just this one amazing shot, you know? And I think, um, that's often what the bad rep is, but you know, with with the practical effects, if you look at Jurassic Park, like most of the dinosaurs that you see on screen are stamps. It's there's whenever a dinosaur is running, or like you know, when you see the majority of the dinosaur that was done with with a CGI by ILM. Um, I think there's definitely something about the actors being able to, inter to interact with stuff. Like 
this whole podcast could be about Jurassic Park, by the way, unfortunately. <laughs> but when, when, when Sam Neill is kind of like leaning on the triceratops and the, he's breathing the air in, and, and you, you know, you hear it, I've, I've heard a lot of interviews about the cast who, uh, on The Lost World as well, as well with the small uh, Stegosaurus, um, all the actors say that when you go in there and you see this thing moving on its own, and it, it, there's a couple of people in the corner with like remotes operating the thing but you can it's so easy to get lost in the idea that it's a real thing and i'm sure that affects the performance and you see that with a lot of the old movies it's it's it looks real because it kind of is real it's just you know it's lit by the same lighting it's shot with the same film it's acted with it's interacted with it's it, it when it's done well which stan was the best um it, it's it makes a big difference and do you of, of all the incredible uh, creatures and machines and Everything Stan Winston created, is there something that uh, is atop that pile for you? The one thing you go, that's that's the pinnacle of what he created, in your opinion? Um, I think you just have to say the T-Rex in, in Jurassic Park. Uh, again, there's people like turning this podcast off right now. But no, the, the no everyone loves it. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to find someone who doesn't go, yep, Jurassic Park was freaking awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those, unfortunately. But it's 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 a it's a marvel to see that T Rex operating. It's it's huge. It's you know he said it was a, a powerful machine in itself just as they move the the, the T Rex around, and um, it's in the rain. And you know, I remember as a kid, like it's being at school and people say like being scared to go and see the movie. You know, and that's 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 a puppet, but it's or, or, you know that's how good it is. It's um, it makes a big difference. It, it it really does. It's it's uh it's hard to describe really, but um I, I would say that's the most iconic one. That's the, the one that everyone's seen. It yeah, is. It's so. we're, 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 there's a generation of people for for whom and I, I was one of them. I remember seeing it in the cinema, Jurassic Park. It was like dinosaurs became real, like overnight. It was like dinosaurs are back. It was like yeah. the plot of the movie is bringing dinosaurs back. But you watch that movie, and you're like, yeah, it feels like dinosaurs exist again. It was crazy. It was almost like adding the CGI elements into it. Just pushed it over the edge that's that little bit where people went and it's running around you know like <laughs> it looks real but it's also able to run at you you know and that that was what it was i think it was just so cleverly interwoven where the the models were undeniable because they were so beautifully done but then the, the visual effects of, of them running around meant that it felt real as well because you could see it running at you you know i think that, that people just hadn't seen that before and the sound design was so insane in that movie where the dinosaur sounded real. It sounded scary, you know, and, and Spielberg's just the master of putting you in that environment and making you feel afraid of it, you know? So that, that's what that movie was. And I forget how scary that movie was because I've seen it like a billion times and my wife hadn't seen it when I met her and I, I just put it on and having a great time. And, and she found it insanely scary, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was shocked by it initially, but yeah, when you, when you, when I think back to when I was a kid, it was, uh, it was a, it was a big like media hype thing that it was the scary movie. All right, then it's you and Stan Winston going to the cinema. There is a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? I would say late. Uh, I think when I used to go to the movies, uh, regularly, uh, nine o'clock was about the time we would used to go because it would like, you know, if you have a three hour movie, you want to get home in the same day. Um, so I, I feel like if you go too early, you get the mass crowds and you get the people that have been dragged there. I feel like after nine o'clock, it's serious people that are actually, you know, are trying to avoid 
like being interrupted, you know. Uh, I'm quite particular about the movie experience, as you're going to hear. Um, so for me, I want people in the room that, that want to be there, basically. And I think nine o'clock always used to be great because we'd come out at night, walk through the city, and there'd be loads of drunk people all over the place. And we're having a conversation about quite a high intellectual conversation about movies. And it, felt, it felt kind of interesting to be in this little <laughs> bubble. Yeah, it just, it was kind of, it was always enjoyable to me because I was, whenever I'd go and watch a movie, my my head's just like in a total bubble and like everything else is just noise around, you know. I, I often just like, some movies I just come out and I wouldn't be talking for a while just because I'd be like just thinking about it. That's interesting, you see, because I, I went through a period of going to the cinema on my own because I didn't, I, I felt like sometimes when you come out and you're with people, there's an obligation to discuss the movie. And I rather, I'd rather just sit with it for a bit, like like yeah, at least yeah. just like 10, 20 minutes while I process exactly how I feel about it before I start talking to someone. Yeah, I've done, since I've moved here, since I've moved to the US, I, I, I've done a lot more movie watching on my own. Um, and it's definitely a different experience, but um, it's the same thing. I, I, you know, if it's a great movie, I remember watching, um, I remember watching Tron Legacy and like coming out of this i probably ruined one of my answers here but i came out i remember coming out of the cinema and just like i had the soundtrack ready to go because my friends <laughs> had all told me that it was it was a really great soundtrack and i love movie soundtracks so i remember driving back out of the cinema uh, back home from the cinema with the soundtrack for tron legacy and i felt like i was still in the movie you know it was it was late night it was dark you know all the, all the freeway all the lines and stuff like yeah it was uh there's something about being on your own and just being able to immerse yourself still. If it's a good movie, you know, if it's a good movie, you come away and you can still, the, the sort of impact of that can stay with you for longer if you don't have to then, like, defend it against somebody else. Yeah, that's the worst. When you've loved it and you're like, how about that? And they're like, yeah, it was yeah. awful. And you're like, what? No, the other one, the opposite of that. It was great. It's yeah, an interesting yeah. one. All right. You've booked the tickets for this trip, Kyle. So where are we going to be sitting in the auditorium? If I know the theatre, I'm going to already have the, the, the seat number, like, saved. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to one of your podcasts the other day, and, I, and you were talking about not being in the middle, but that's where I would be. Like, I'm, I, I, I want it to be, like, perfectly centred. I want to be in the exact row that gives me the perfect eye line so that my eyes are looking right in the middle of the, the theatre. Uh, <laughs> of the screen, sorry. So I, I want to... I want to like effortlessly be able to just like relax my my head and just the whole thing's nicely framed. I used to know that so, number in the in my local theater. So we're talking that you literally do not have to change the angle of your head one degree lower or one degree higher. It is perfect yes. eye line where you can you're not having to strain a single neck muscle. Yeah, I mean, again, I used to be a little bit more pedantic about this stuff. I've definitely relaxed a lot more about my movie going experience. Um, but I used to be quite intense about it, and yeah, very much so. The middle of the exact perfect middle. So you literally, it's got to be like dead, dead center, horizontally yeah. and vertically. If you're coming with me, you're going to sit in one of the, the sides. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. We are sitting dead center. So the yeah. air in the foyer is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. Leaving popcorn to one side for a moment. What do you choose to eat? Uh, probably nothing, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, I used to have zero, um, nothing. Yeah, not. I used to have. Okay, I'm quite, I'm quite weird with food in general. But I used to have like nachos, like in uh, 
again, I, I know they sponsor the podcast, so I don't mind dropping the, the name Odeon. But when we used to go to, to Odeon <laughs> um, <laughs> in in Manchester, there there was this um, like premium viewing experience called the Gallery. I don't know if they still do that, but um, basically you you pay for like a premium tier where you can go in and, and it's got like a little lounge where you can sort of hang out at before the movie. And wow. um, and it had complimentary like nacho and uh, popcorn and, and drinks, basically. So I kind of got into the habit of having uh, the nachos. But I'm not really one for sauces and flavors or anything interesting at all. So I would just have like a packet of nachos, basically. And I, I tend not to like to eat while I'm watching the movie. So I usually just go in there and plow through whatever I've selected. And then, you know, I don't watch movie trailers. So that tends to be a good time to get down and, and get through the popcorn and, and whatever um, while I'm trying not to look at the screen and, and have things spoiled. Wow, I love this. You, are, you, you have a very set view of how to enjoy a movie. This is great. You don't watch movie trailers. So like in yeah. a cinema, when they play the movie trailer, is that because you don't want a, a new film spoiled for you and you feel that trailers now reveal too much? Uh, very much so, yeah. I think some of the best experiences I've ever had in the in the movie theater are ones where I didn't even know what we were going to watch, and then it, you, you sort of it get just swept up into it. There's no expectations, you know. You know, you, you don't go in there thinking, "Oh, I'm going to be watching this movie," and then they pull the plug on you, and you're watching a different one. Like you get to watch it how the filmmaker expected you to experience it. They scene one is what they're, you know, they're introducing you to the movie. You know, I think that's that's there's some there's some value in that for sure. I think. You know, I understand what people want to know what they're going in for, so they don't waste their money on a movie that they're not going to enjoy. Um, but generally, I tend to trust movie like filmmakers and actors, so I, I just keep a track of who's in the movies and, and you know what the titles are and the, the movie posters, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had an experience with—I mean, I'm sure everyone who was into like these types of movies at that time remembers, but I remember the Terminator Salvation trailer, like. Again, spoiler if you've not seen that movie, That's but it's, I think um, we'll be doing people a favor. But go on, yeah, you know, in the trailer, you, it reveals that he's a Terminator, and that's like you watch the movie and they've got this pinned as a halfway like reveal. You know that going in if you've seen the trailer. So I remember watching that trailer and just thinking, like, and then watching the movie and not being surprised at that moment. It just felt like such a like I could that's it been spoiled, you know. Are we talking about? I can't. I honestly can't remember the trailer for Terminator Salvation. This is the one with Jason. Um, oh my gosh, Jason Clark is it? Who plays yeah. who plays the adult John Connor? And they reveal in the trailer that he's in fact evil and the Terminator. Or are we talking about the uh, the Different Sam one. Worthington one? Sam Worthington and I think uh, I think they did Christian the same Bale. thing. Christian Bale right. is John Connor. Right, right, right. I think they did exactly the same thing. It's like, this is insane, because I think they didn't learn any lesson, because in Terminator Genesis, they did exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, where they revealed John yeah. Connor is evil. It's amazing. Yeah, like, like, I, I get it. Like, I, you know, I, I listened to the commentary of um, David Fincher talking about Gone Girl, and there's a giant twist in Gone Girl, and he was like, talking to Sony executives, and he's like, you, you can't show that in the trailer. Like, it's a big part of the movie, but we just can't show it. And they ended up just showing this really ambiguous, like, trailer that doesn't really tell you anything at all and, and um, is basically promoting a different movie, like this sort of relationship movie. And then, you know, you go in there and it's a totally different movie, and that's great. That's what you want. Yeah. But it's very hard for the studio to do that because they're sort of hiding all their good bits, you know, uh, which... They want to sell. They want to show you all the great visual effect shots. They want to show you all, all everything that they can to get you in the, in the door. So, 
for that reason, I don't watch trailers, and uh, I, I don't think I've like lost out so far. No. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. I, I, I totally agree with your theory. I'm just a bit of a trailer junkie. And also for work, it sort of seems to be that you kind of need to have seen the trailer because yeah. people talk about it. And so I'm, I've only ever seen Rules of Attraction, the Roger Avery movie. That's the only film I've ever seen where I've not known a single thing about it. And I walked in, didn't mm-hmm. know what it was about, didn't know it was based mm-hmm. on the, the Bray Easton Ellis novel, thought it was going to be a romantic comedy. It starts and I'm like, it was genuinely one of the most incredible movie experiences I've had. I think it's the way to do it if you can, you know. There's many a time where I have to, I get told the endings of seasons of Stranger Things before I get a chance to watch it. So, like, I've learned to deal with that on an emotional level, but <laughs> whenever whenever I have the opportunity to go in with a blank mind, you know, I'll take it. It's interesting, isn't it? I think probably that uh, conversation that David Fincher had with Sony about Gone Girl, it would take a, a filmmaker of, of David Fincher's stature to actually be able to override a studio's thought process because i think uh, a lot of the time you know it's like the filmmakers have have little to no inputs in the trailers yeah. they're farmed out to other editing houses production companies uh, i remember speaking to simon Pegg about the trailer for star trek beyond the first trailer that dropped set to the beastie boys and he was like that was not the trailer that we thought the film should have had it's it's always a conversation i would imagine you know it's a creative dialogue between you know when when you've got people whose money's involved in it they get to say of course okay popcorn sweet or salted um i think just salted for me i think uh i remember the first time i went on a movie date with my wife and um she went and got the popcorn and uh i remember like just sticking my hand in and it was all wet and it, she'd got buttery popcorn <laughs> i'd never had buttery popcorn in my entire life i didn't even know it existed I, I didn't have any more of that popcorn. So, like, you know, that, that, that's the only thing I've really got to tell you about popcorn. I think uh, I don't mind sweet popcorn. Like, if, if it's sweet, that's fine. But I think buttery, I've got a block on that idea. A hundred percent. Salted is the correct answer. Uh, congratulations, Kyle. Also, buttery popcorn. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming this is something that's happened since you moved to Los Angeles because this is no, becoming this a was, running... this is still in the UK. So I don't... What? I, I didn't... Yeah. You may have just answered one of the biggest questions that has been floating around this podcast for the last few weeks, which is buttery popcorn, a thing in the Mm -hmm. US, but not a thing in the UK. But you're saying you've had buttery popcorn in the UK. My hand has had buttery popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you remember where this was? Do you remember what cinema it was at? Do you remember what chain it was at? Do you remember anything about this buttery popcorn experience? Because I can't find anyone who can qualify the existence of buttery popcorn in the UK. I, w- I can get back to you, um, yeah. but I would probably sure. confirm that I would probably verify that it's it's Odeon again. I think it, I think that tended to be the, the go to. Right. Um, I, I used to watch movies at the Trafford Centre as well, and, and that they that was that's Odeon as well. I think, so oh, God, no, right, not, I'll not... I'll speak to our I'll speak to our sponsors, and I'll yes. find out if they can confirm historically or currently yeah. whether buttery popcorn is a thing in any of their yeah. cinemas because. I've yet to see it, but I'm I'm going with you, Kyle. I'm going on this journey. Yeah, I think it is. Right. Good. Our journey continues now as we leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Posters along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster depicts your fondest movie memory. What poster are you putting up? This one's really difficult because I think most of my favorite movies you could put on a hand, like, and I watched them over and over and over and over again and i'm trying not to overlap with like answers here so 
but I think one that stands out for me, um, I think like I went through a period where, you know, I just talked to you about like this intense movie going experience thing. I think that's, I, I brought that to the table because I was, um, very much wanting to get into that world. And I was taking it very seriously, like learning about movies and, uh, every, everything about movies, storytelling, uh, visual effects. Like I wanted to know everything about movies because I think it's important in the work that I do now. I didn't know it at the time specifically what job I was going to be going for, but you know, I don't just sit there and paint a pretty picture. It's, it's, I want to make it uh, tell the story. I want to, I want to know what the filmmaker's thinking. I want to know about the cinematography. How, how does the, you know, each, each poster that I draw, I look at how the, the, the show's lit. I look at like what, what lighting they're using this season, like, cause that's going to impact the, the, the color scheme that I want to put on the poster. Like, I often feel what the colors should be just by seeing the scenes. Um, so like I was in this really like, intense uh experience of like listening to audio commentaries on dvds and watching all of the movies that came out and you know i even watched the oscar coverage that you were doing when when uh, <laughs> when i was back then <laughs> um, wow just a complete immersion in cinema <laughs> high end <laughs> <laughs> anyway what so is, uh, in, in, yeah in that in that moment i was watching uh, a lot of movies in the theater and that's when uh, i went to see inception and wow. As you can imagine, that blew my mind as, 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 a, as a piece of cinema. It, you know, the, it, it, like you can sort of like check all the different things that are going like in, in terms of what makes up a great movie. And for me, that, that movie just like, I, I remember just being like pinned to my seat at the end of it. Like the way that movie just ends with, with the sort of ambiguity and, and, you know, the emotional aspect that he's got back to America to see his kids and, and and uh, and then you don't know whether it's real or not. It was. It, it, I just felt like I'd been pulled in every direction, and and the whole movie itself just had this really intense, uh, like the score by Hans Zimmer is just phenomenal, and and um, yeah, it was just I'd not seen a movie like that before, and I just got completely dumbfounded by it. Like it was. I still haven't re- recovered <laughs> from that movie really. That little wobble, the little wobble of the spinning top, and then it just cuts to black. It just like yeah. every, I, I think about that all the time. It's just, it's such a like, oh, it just pulls the rug out from under you, and then you sort of end up sort of analysing it and the fact that I think they've said I can't remember for sure because I think the ambiguity is great, but I'm pretty sure someone somewhere who was involved in the production has said that he thinks I think it maybe it was one of the cast because it doesn't sound like something. Christopher Nolan would reveal himself because he's not like that. But I think one of the cast said they fundamentally might be Michael Caine. He believes that he has returned to America and it's all true because he can see his kids' faces for the first time. Is that correct? Something like that. So I think that's someone's theory anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I think think he may be right that I often listen to these movies, so I'm not as... When I, when I spend most of my days drawing, I'm not watching the movies. I usually just listen to them. So like I'm much better on the dialogue than the visuals. But I, I seem to remember that being the case that they never quite turned around and looked at him in the, in the sort of dream sequences. Just even just the emotional aspect of him like getting through that security thing at the airport. Like whenever I go through the airport, I remember the first time I came through with my, my green card and it was just like, like, I didn't know if it was going to work, you know, and, and the guy <laughs> said, uh, well, you know, welcome home, you know, and it was like the first time that I had, someone had said that because, and it was the line from the movie. I remember like getting chills when that happened. It was, just, it was like, it reminded me of that, the same impact that, that moment has in the movie. So 
It must be nice having a green card because you don't have to run the gauntlet of the terrifying Los Angeles LAX border people. They, I mean, they trade to be scary, but man, it's like I know I've got all the correct accreditation to be working here, and yet I'm genuinely like I'm not going to make it through. They're gonna, I've, there's going to be something wrong. They're going to kick me out. I'm going to be dragged to yeah. one side and spend two hours in a side office going. I genuinely have this is a v- genuine visa. It's so scary. Yeah. Yeah, I've been through it many a time. It's, uh, you know, I remember a friend of mine says that like, he was told, like, it's my decision whether you come into the country or not. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's on that level. Mm. So. Um, okay, our first poster's going up. It's for Inception, the second poster. Depicts mm-hmm. your worst movie memory. What is your worst movie memory? Um, there's quite a few, but I, I think the one that we we're talking about is the movie going experience. So I think this is a good chance to talk about uh, when I went and saw Avatar for the first time. This was, uh, I was telling you before about this gallery experience where you get to go to this premium tier. Well, it was, uh, I think it was like Christmas Eve or something. We went to see this and um, essentially this premium tier means that you're slightly higher than everyone else. So it's not ideal. It doesn't give you that like perfect viewpoint, but the experience of the free popcorn and it's it's not free it's like it, you're paying more for the experience but you feel you feel like you can just eat more you know for, for whatever reasons it, it's a great experience it's it's you know you, it feels luxurious you've got these like sofa seats there's a lot of that in the u.s like you know where you can sort of lean back and there's bit, like it's a reclining experience but anyway so it's a nice experience so you would think that you'd get a better better than average experience but um it was new year's christmas eve and um so we sit down and behind us, this giant group walks in and they're basically on their Christmas party oh, and man. it was a late showing. So they clearly made like gone for some drinks beforehand and most of them were, you know, worse for wear already. And this is, this is quite a long movie. It's, I, I don't know the runtime of Avatar, but it's like two and a half hours, I think, something like that. Yeah, about that, yeah. Anyway, I, I would imagine through the eyes of someone who's been drinking, Avatar's quite funny because... Like they start doing all the sounds of all the animals repeatedly throughout the whole movie. So like whenever there's a quiet scene, all all you can hear is ah ah like oh from people behind and like and I still hear those sounds now when I watch it back. Like <laughs> I've watched it a few times since then, and I, I I know the exact moments where that happened because it's burnt into my like consciousness of of what I what I, what I remember, you know. So yeah, I hate those people. That's an example. <laughs> who goes? Who think? Who people? People are just mad. Who goes? Yeah, we're having our office Christmas party, and then once we've had a bit to drink, we'll go and see Avatar. Like, yeah. at what point did someone go? That sounds like a great idea. You, like, just just a mad a mad decision. Yeah, mad and the problem is do? half of those people probably didn't want to see Avatar. They're just going to the Christmas party, you know. Oh. Like, I love watching movies on a big screen. I love the sound system. Like, I love the group experience, like you've talked about many times on this podcast. I love the, you know, I, I remember when I saw I saw Gone Girl in the US, and uh, I remember I saw it on my own. I was telling you this idea of going on my own and going late, so there's no one there. I, I remember I knew the exact theater to go to where there was just no one in there, and I went and watched it on my own, and it was great. And then um, on a whim, I was out shopping one day, and I just thought, oh, I'll go and see it again. So I, I went to a different theater that had a lot people in it and i remember like it was a totally different movie totally different movie because i remember what when i watched it the first time i was in the serious like you know this, this is uh this is um 
this is going to be a really serious movie. Um, it's David Fincher, so it's going to be technically beautiful. I'm looking at camera shots. I'm looking at lighting. I'm looking at like everything. It's just like, and it's a very dark story with you know this this uh, this crazy uh, crazy woman who's you know driving this guy insane. You know, and and I was just it was like the horror aspect of it hit. And then I watched it with this audience, and I remember there was a row of um, ladies in front of me, and they found it hilarious the whole movie because they wow. were really tapping in they were tapping into david finch's like comedy that he put in there so like the, the sort of you know they were they were looking at um uh david dunn's character and they were looking at him it is david dunn i think i just pulled that out but he um he's he's sort of like a victim of this whole thing and he's got the paparazzi chasing him everywhere and how like ridiculous the paparazzi are like that's the subtext of the movie is this sort of media circus you know and they were they got that i didn't get that the first time and, and the second time i got that and i found it funny and i was laughing along with them you know and that's 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 what an audience can do and that's why i think comedy really does require that, that sort of group audience where you know you all you all sort of feel it together you know a hundred percent i watched uh i was on my own in uh, la once uh, uh, and I watched uh, vacation the vacation remake i i went on my own but it was a cinema it was really busy and, you know, American audiences, I think, are more vocal anyway. I think they react mm -hmm. more than British audiences to whatever's yeah. happening on screen. And it was genuinely one of the funniest movies I'd ever seen because everyone just got it. Everyone was into it. And the laughter and the auditorium was infectious. And it was a, what a wonderful experience. So, yeah. yeah, you know, you roll the dice, though. People are people. Sometimes they're wonderful and yeah. sometimes they're on an office Christmas party. So yeah. Avatar so. is the second Avatar. poster we're putting up. Mm -hmm. Third poster. The last performance that brought you to tears. Um, I'm a bit. Of, I think I get very emotionally involved in movies, so I think I'm a bit of a prime target for these types of uh, emotional uh, experiences that they try and project onto you. Like Pixar, are like the number one uh, studio for that. They 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 really work hard on the emotional aspects of the stories and oh. sort of like they they get you to really care about the characters in in a way that a lot of movies don't. They don't give you the time to to sort of uh, align yourself with the characters but pixar have done that um on all of their movies and i remember when i saw toy story 3 um that that movie was the one that like i, I think again i was really like really like focusing on the story at the time i was really paying attention to, to what what they were doing with this movie and i remember people said telling me like oh you know it's a very emotional movie like oh my god i was crying you know and i was like oh I'm sure I'll be fine, you know, and it, and it wasn't actually the, the, you know, the, the sort of like incinerator scene that got me for me. It was more like when he, when Andy gave the toys to the little girl at the end and you got to see her playing with all the toys and they were doing all these slow motion shots and like, you know, I think that was what got me on, on that movie. And um, there's been plenty of movies since like every season of Stranger Things sort of has that for me as well. Like that. I tend not to see the last few episodes, so when I get to watch those, I get to watch them properly. And there's something about saying goodbye, I think, that gets me. And uh, there was there was a little bit of that in season three, where you know Eleven and Will were moving away, and sort of had to say goodbye to. Them. I remember that the Duffer Brothers got me on that. Yeah, just hearing you describe the Andy giving away his toy scene nearly got me. It's I, I honestly, yeah. I've, I felt myself going. It's just it's one of those. If just the description of a movie scene that brought you to tears can then bring you to tears again, wow, that's <laughs> that's powerful storytelling. Yeah. Toy Story 3 is our third poster. Our final 
movie poster that we're putting up depicts your unpopular movie mm-hmm. opinion. What is mm-hmm. it? I think there's a couple of things here, but I think in terms of movies, I think I actually think the first Transformers movie is a good movie, and I think I think that Michael Bay's like interpretation of Transformers and anything really gets a little bit of a bad reputation in terms of like cinema. But I remember watching that. I I, I didn't grow up with Transformers necessarily. I, I knew about Transformers, like I knew the toys, but like I, I spent most of my childhood watching Thundercats, and and and, and I never really got into Transformers. Um, so I didn't really know anything about Transformers when I went to watch the movie. So I didn't carry along this legacy of what Transformers should be. I went into that movie just watching it as a movie and. I think, you know, I was at the right age where they were kind of going, going after people who like their first car and, and get the girl kind of thing. And, you know, this, the, the alien race, like it couldn't, it could have not been a Transformers movie. It could have just been that element of the story. Like it could have been like the E.T. angle of the story, really, that, that, that got me. But like, I remember like that, that movie, like I really loved the music. I really loved the, the sort of the visual effects were really impressive on that for me. I think that that was another one that really pushed the boundaries in terms of like realistic looking like cars and robots and things like that. And uh, I think I just got swept away in the fun of that first movie. And I know it gets a lot of bad, bad reputation. So I would say that would be considered to be an unpopular uh, opinion. Okay. And how do you feel about the sequels then? Because I think the first movie... I think the first movie, I, I, I'm going to let you have it, Carl. I'm letting you have it as an unpopular movie opinion. I think a lot of people were down on it. I think some people were like, no, it's okay. I think once the sequels hit, I think then the rot set in for a majority of people. People started being quite negative about the sequels. And to come with you on your journey, I actually really like all the sequels. Apart from, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of Age of Extinction. But the first three I think it mm-hmm. is. Um, I was I was a big fan of. How are you with them? Mm-hmm. I, I was very very disappointed with number two because because I did have such a great experience with number one. Um, mm. <laughs> a funny story about number one. I remember watching number one in a, in a in a decaying theater, and it's a theater that I used to go to every year with my family. We'd go on holiday and camp, and we'd go and like go into the movie was was one of the things we would do that week. And every year the theater was getting worse. Like there'd be less people going to see the movies. The staff were, were, were disappearing and, and uh, the paint was peeling off the wall. And I remember when we went to watch Transformers, the, the summer before or the, the winter before, there was uh, there must have been some big storms in Tenby and the roof um, like came down. But they still opened the theater in the summer. So we're watching the movie and the, the row of seats in front of us was like blocked off. Big, like like taped off with hazard tape. So we're sat there and there's this like crime scene in front of us and we're watching the movie and then it starts raining. So you're getting like, an extra layer of visual effects. Going. That was almost on there, but I, I found that a fun experience. But like, you know, again, watching that for the first time, like it was a really like memorable moment. Um, but I, I did quite like it. Came away. We, came, we all came away going, oh, that's pretty good, you know, so. Oh. Please tell me, please tell me that it started raining. I think it was it's either Tyrese Gibson or Josh Dermel who says, bring the rain. And I remember thinking, <laughs> what a cool line. But if the actual yeah. rain came in when he went, bring the rain, you'd be like, well, that's pretty incredible. That's, that's 4D. That's a 4D cinema experience. Oh, brilliant. Right. We're putting up Transformers, the original movie, not the original original movie, the Michael Bay original movie, as mm-hmm. your final poster. 
So we've arrived at the last set of doors. Now, there is a queue of people hoping to join you in the auditorium with Stan Winston to watch whichever movies you pick for us. Um, you've had good and bad experiences with crowds of people. Are you inviting our crowd in with you, or is it just you and Stan? Are they on a Christmas party? <laughs> they're sober. I can promise you they're, they're sober. sober. Um, I would probably let them in, yeah. Hey, all right. You allow the crowd in, and they go wild. So you're sitting in the auditorium. Before the movie you've picked for us begins, one of the best things for most people although not you, as it turns out, Kyle, is the trailers. So are we playing a trailer for a movie you're looking forward to? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I would skip the trailers. <laughs> Great, fine. Uh, honestly. No trailers. That's if fine. If I'm in control you... of this, this operation, then, you know. This is your perfect night at the cinema. If you want no trailers, you can have no trailers. Yeah. So we're not playing any trailer. But we are going to play your favorite shot or sequence from a movie mm-hmm. to warm up our yeah. crowd. I was thinking um, that this would be, I remember as a kid, the second Jurassic Park movie, Lost World, was like, I, I, like, I was like super ready for it. Like, I, I, I watched the first one, I got really excited, I had all the toys, and then I was at the perfect age for when the second one came out. So, like, um, I think about that movie and, and the sequence where. The T Rex is pushing the trailer off the edge of the oh. of, of the mountainside, and I, like you know, then going and getting the toys and doing the same thing. Like I remember, just my imagination as a kid was just like provoked by that scene. Like I, when I start think going through all my favorite movies and like scenes, I don't think anything's really ever like provoked me in that way. Like since that scene, that bit where Julianne Moore lands on the window at the bottom of the trailer. And it starts mm-hmm. to crack slowly around her fingertips. I remember being on the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible like foley moment in in cinema. <laughs> the, the sort of creak, creaking and cracking glass, and you know, yeah, I think it's it's. It, I I really loved that movie. I think again, it, it could be like I, some of my favorite movies out of franchises all line up with the, the time when I was younger. Like I really liked Batman Forever, for example. I know it's not the best Batman movie at what? the time. But I, I do remember as a kid, it was just exactly what I needed at that age from a, from a Batman movie. It was, it was, it, it connected with the toys so well, you know. Yeah, and that is there. There is literally we can we people could work out the slight age difference between us because Batman Returns is my favorite Batman movie because that was the movie I, that I got. It was my first movie T-shirt was yeah. Batman Returns. I remember just being in love with that movie. And by the time Batman mm-hmm. Forever came along, I was like, no. This isn't Tim Burton. It's not dark enough. It's too silly. Right. We're playing the sequence from The Lost World. Now, you very kindly printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience. Thank you, Kyle. It has your favorite movie quote on the front. What is your favorite movie quote? I really struggled with the idea of this. I, I uh, Every single movie that I love has great quotes in it. And it, again, trying to avoid just giving you Jurassic Park content uh is jurassic park is one of the most quotable uh movies like hold on to your butts is like the most obvious (laughs) go-to here um but i'm gonna go with something i'm gonna go with um dark knight rises because i love bane's dialogue in that movie and i can pretty much like quote anything from that movie with with, uh, with bane in it 
I just love what they did with his voice in that in that movie for some reason. And because I listen to my movies a lot, I always listen, and I can't help but end up doing the voice, you know. Um, <laughs> Let's but, hear it. Come on. But my favorite, I think my favorite one is when when Talia leaves Batman for dead, like she stabbed him with the knife, and she says something like, you know, like I want you to see your city burn. I want to see you want to see the fire, and then she goes off. And Bane's left with um, with Batman, and and uh, he says, uh, "You'll just have to imagine the fire." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, I, you're absolutely right. Bane is in, insanely quotable. Uh, my my favorite mm. uh, is your precious armory, gratefully received. That's yes, the one I yes. like. I, I like it when he, when Cow, Catwoman takes him in to, to see Bane as well, and she's like. And uh, Batman said, uh, "He says you made a serious mistake." And uh, and 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 Bane says, "Not as serious as yours." <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. So, of the Bane quotes, you're so having... one of those you're... basically. One of those quotes, I would say, you'll have to imagine. You'll just have to imagine the fire. You'll just have to imagine the fire is going on the t-shirts. All right, then. The final thing we're going to play as the final part of our warm-up before your double bill is your favourite song or score from a movie. What are we playing? Again, really struggle with this one because there's a lot of movies that I love the music for. And I think it's, a, I know that I'm not the first person to say this, but like, I really think people underestimate how emotionally impacted they are in movies by the score and how important it is in terms of like, I think Spielberg more than anybody knows this. I think uh, Nolan knows this more than anyone as well because they both play so like there's a reason why Spielberg has John Williams on every movie that he works on because he just knows that it's a safe bet to sort of he knows he can trust John Williams to come in and get the movie and give it something like push it basically elevate it that's what you want with everything in, in a movie when you've got a team you want every person in the team to bring and elevate it and I think the music is something that's important to elevate a movie beyond just movie it's, it's something that emotionally impacts you and uh like steven spielberg's hook for me as a kid was that movie and, and, and it's only as i've revisited that movie in adulthood where i kind of really understand that it was the music that was doing that it's this magic i can only really describe it as that it's it's what it it's warm it it kind of it's what a lot of his music does but you know i think when i when i've looked into that movie it was originally going to be a musical and it was originally going to be Spielberg's first musical, and John Williams wrote all the music for it as if it was going to be a musical, and they they, did, they ended up not turning it into a musical. Wow, that's a great fact. I didn't know that. So mm. we would have got it. Well, West Side Story, I think that's his first musical, isn't it? He'd always yeah, wanted to I do one. I think he just didn't have the confidence to do it. I don't think he, you know, I, I may be wrong. Like, please tell me if I'm wrong, but like, I I, I was under the impression that. He originally thought of it as a musical and, and just decided at the last minute not to not to do it that way because he didn't have the confidence or didn't feel it was right or, or whatever. Mm. Um, and John Williams, like, there's actually a two disc version of that soundtrack that you can get um, that has like extra bits of music that were considered for that. And uh, there's a couple of songs that were going to be part of it, and I think there was one song that was actually that actually made it into the movie. I think that that movie, uh, but I would like to add a little. Uh, Honorable mention to Tron Legacy because I, I did talk about that earlier. The the uh, the soundtrack for that movie is just like like nothing about that you know I've ever heard before. I is just love driving Daft Punk, that isn't music. it? Yeah, is it's it Daft, Daft Punk. Punk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's again. It feels like the movie. Like you put on 
if you can put on the soundtrack and feel like you're in the movie, like you know, that's what that's the best one. So. Right then, the score from Hook has finished. Mm-hmm. It's now time to begin your double bill of movies you've picked. The first movie we're screening for our audience in Stan Winston that you have picked, Kyle, is the film that is most important to you. What is our first movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Jurassic Park. Unfortunately, <laughs> I know we've given it a lot of airplay, but like this is uh, this is the movie that like I think is the reason why I do artwork. It's it's I remember just watching that and just wanting to know how they did it and, and wanting to draw dinosaurs and wanting to like just create things based on that. And I still I, I you know I, I I've, in the last few years I did a poster of Jurassic Park with with all of the characters on on there that sort of. Like pay tribute to it, and uh, I saw that on your website. That's incredible. Yeah. That's yeah, it's amazing. If anyone wants to see it, go to uh, Kyle's website, kylelambert.com, I think uh, mm-hmm. it's just it's such a cool poster. It must be really like fun for you to revisit movies that because I was like, I, it took me a while to work out what it was, but like people come to you now for when they're doing Blu-rays or re-releases of older movies because you've got there's a Jumanji one on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another again. It's another movie that I saw as a, as a, as a kid, and uh, to approach something that people already know. Like often when I do the commercial pieces for the new shows, it's a case of like teasing things, like not showing the shark, you know. And uh, when you get to create a retrospective, it's all about celebrating the things that people love about it. So you can really lean into like the iconic moments and characters. And I like to. You know, I like to think that my job is to create the perfect image of that movie, so that you know any any fan of that would would just like would want that on their wall. You know, when it's a movie that I like myself, it's just the perfect perfect job. So, were you asked to do the Jurassic Park thing, or was it something you wanted to do yourself just because of your love for that movie? It's one of the one of the first like I, I get so busy that I don't get time to do fan art. Essentially, like that's technically what it's called but this was this was like the first piece where i got to do some fan art there was um there was like a gallery exhibition in, in burbank um where basically all of the um amblin team were sort of like doing like a 35 year celebration and drew struzan put all of his posters on the wall the original artwork and i i, I was basically asked to create a piece for that just to, to go on the wall and like a, like a, to celebrate the movies of amblin and, and that's when i did the Jurassic Park. They, they said pick an amblin movie so sounds like a difficult decision for you of course jurassic park brilliant it's yeah it's an amazing piece of work right then i feel we've covered jurassic park so we'll move on to the final movie it's time to announce to our excited audience in this packed auditorium the headline movie the movie out of all others you've picked as the climax for tonight what are we watching kyle You're going to love this. Uh, you've already mentioned it. Um, Batman Returns. Oh, what? <laughs> yes. Oh, what the chances? Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. So like, like you, I, I grew up with Batman Returns, even though I did like Batman Forever. Somehow, even though I was probably too young to watch it, uh, I, I, my first love of Batman came from Batman Returns. And uh, it's, it went away for a little while when the Nolan movies came out and when I when I, um, you know, as a kid, I got into Batman Forever. I, I moved on to Jurassic Park and all these kind of things. But uh, 
in in the last five years, I've really kind of fallen in love with Batman Returns again. And, uh, I just love it. Basically, just has like it's it's the best of Tim Burton. I think it's taking Tim Burton's you know aesthetic, his his interesting quirky elements, but bringing it into a movie that isn't that, and then. It's it's basically this really interesting in, interpretation of, of Batman, and, and you know I think Batman's at its strength when it's focusing on the villains because you know in itself Bruce Wayne is the, the more interesting part of Batman and his his sort of struggle with childhood and things like that. But to me, the 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 bit that really brings you into a Batman movie is the villains, and I think like Tim Burton's take on those villains with with the Penguin and Catwoman is uh, iconic, and it's. It's so interesting to watch. It's not corny in any way. It's dark. It's, it's brutal in, at times, and it just ticks all the boxes. It's serious. It's uh, it's visually beautiful. Like it's it's like a, it's like a black and white painting. Like the whole thing is just like like beautifully lit, and uh, it's it, you know a lot of the things that I gravitate towards have this grungy quality to them, and I think I got it from Batman Returns. I, that's that's where that comes from. I think when you look at the work that I do, it has a sort of dark. Like I like the I like the dark elements. Like I'm not painting romantic comedy posters. Like they're all like tend to have sort of like that's what I liked about Stranger Things. It had that dark quality to it, and I think I got that from that moment. Turns and uh, again, insanely quotable. I could have answered a lot of these questions that you gave me here with Batman Returns as well as Jurassic Park, but I thought I'd leave this one till the end. I want a lovely, lovely surprise. As the, I, I've literally watched that movie. I watch it every Christmas because to me, Batman Returns is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, it's like it's so fresh in my mind. But like bits that I've, I get, I get goosebumps when things are just really, really, just beautiful the way they look on screen. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of moments. The bit where um, Max Shrek pushes. Uh, uh, selena kyle out of the window just that whole interaction where christopher walken is like he goes ah ah like he's joking and then he just <laughs> violently pushes her and the way her head hits every um awning on the way down just a thump 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 before she hits the ground i was like oh my god that's mm-hmm. so good yeah yeah I, I, the whole movie there's nothing really wrong with this movie the only, the only there's only one little moment in the movie that that bugs me which i'm sure everyone's pointed out before have you seen have you seen this alex where where he reveals himself to Selena Kyle at the end, and in one shot he's got black makeup on, and then he peels off the helmet, and he hasn't got black makeup on anymore. <laughs> and there's a split scene where you can see him wearing the mask with no black makeup on on the eyes, and it's, it looks really jarring. I, I can't. That's the only only little thing that's wrong with that movie, but everything else is absolutely perfect. Oh, uh, the bit where uh, Catwoman flips out of the department store, she goes flip, 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 meow, and then it just goes yeah. Oh. Oh, what a movie. What a fantastic yeah. movie to end on. And that's it. The curtains have closed. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out at the movies. But before you go, Kyle, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask, mm-hmm. what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? So, your mystery question this week is, get my box. I'm go. really looking forward to this because as someone who spent a lot of time thinking about these answers, this is really going to hit me hard. <laughs> <laughs> so your question is, oh, okay. 
As someone who formerly lived in Manchester in the UK and now resides in Los Angeles, California, Kyle, what do you miss most about these fair shores? I would say the um, honesty of people is something okay. that is is um, missing. I think there's a there's a layer of superficial uh, to people in 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 the US. There's a politeness. In, I think there's a politeness in the UK, but it's a little bit different. I feel like people wear their their hearts on their sleeves in the UK, like. You can be talking to someone for like five minutes and you find out that they've got six kids and they, they had a bad childhood. And in the US, it takes a lot to get through to people, you know, to have more personal connections with people. And I sort of feel more empathy to people when I'm back in the UK. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I sort of, everyone's more adorable, I find in the UK, that there's sort of like a reality to people. And I think it's in, in the US, there's a lot more like, you know, a lot more. Of a, of a face that people put on to sort of that everyone's having a great time like you know the whole like mm. uh how's your day going they don't want to know if you're having a bad day they're just being you know they're going through the motions a little bit and uh you know that and uh and fish and chips oh yeah good so i'll take that fish and chips and the fact <laughs> that we are more adorable what a combination yes. well kyle that's it your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with Stan Winston at 9pm. You're sitting in the middle, perfectly centred both horizontally and vertically, so you're eye level with the cinema screen. You are eating nothing except maybe some salted popcorn. We're putting up posters for Inception, Avatar, Toy Story 3 and Transformers, we are playing no trailer we are then playing the rv sequence versus t-rex from the lost world we're having t-shirts printed with the dark knight risers you'll just have to imagine the fire that impression wasn't very good we are then listening to the score from hook and watching a double bill of jurassic park and batman returns kyle thank you for taking us on this trip to the movies have you had a good time had a great time. And I just realized that Stan Winston worked on both of those movies, so he would have <laughs> a, lot to te- a lot to tell me about. <laughs> it couldn't have worked out more perfect. Kyle, thank you very much, and goodbye. And as Kyle's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week. If you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave the review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, where we're at Trip to movies pod the competition is only open to uk residents and the tickets exclude odeon leicester square and odeon lux and just before i say my final farewell for this episode don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's kyle lambert episode and indeed every guest on our trip to the movies patreon as well as early access to the podcast too and if you'd like to get a taste of those video interviews subscribe to our trip to the movies youtube channel And that really is it for this episode. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.